Well, listen, this morning, I'm going to get uh, uh, right to it this morning. I was, uh, we're going to actually finish our series today on Live to Give. Amen. Actually, I was going to finish it up last week, and uh, there was one message that I wasn't going to put in it. Uh, you know, I just I took that out, and God said, why did you do that? I said, because I didn't think that, you know, that we, that was necessary. And he said, this, he said, it's my message, so put it back in. <laughs> So, praise the Lord. This is, uh, I believe it's a word from the Lord, something I could not have made up. Amen. It's not a direction I necessarily would go, all right, but uh, God is God. Amen. And uh, we'll do what he says to do. So, this message, this last message, actually this one is one where I had to insert, God led me to insert it. It was like the second message of the series, and I skipped over it. And I thought God wouldn't pay attention to that, you know. And he would just let us keep going, but it's, it's at the end. And you know what? At the end of the day, things work out just the way they should, the way that the Lord wants them to work out. Amen. And so the name of this last message in Live to Give, a little different, is called Why Tithe? Why Tithe? All right. This is a question that a lot of people ask. Why Tithe? And I want to let you know this morning that I am going to try to explain to you I'm going to try to convince you why you should tithe. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to be like a car salesman where I come in. I'm sorry if you're a car salesman. Uh, I don't mean that negatively, but where I say, you know, come on in. No, no, no. I don't want you to, to, to buy anything. Just come in and look and then try to get you to buy something. I'm trying to get you to buy something this morning, and I'm letting you know up front. Uh, my, my whole job this morning is to try to get you to understand why you should be a giver and why you should be a tither. And the reason why I say that with such conviction this morning is because I believe with every fiber of my being that this is something that will help you. This is not something, listen, this is not something where I was sitting around praying and I said, Lord, you know what, the church needs some more money and so I'm going to preach on giving. This is nothing like that. This has nothing to do with what the church needs, and it has everything to do with what God wants to help you. I promise you from the bottom of my heart that this is something, if you learn how to be a giver, and then specifically today, if you learn how to be a tither, it is something that will help you. And I'm going to give you a little illustration a little later in the message that I hope will allow you to see what I'm talking about. But the Lord, listen, the God, uh, you know, we've heard all of the, the scripture and the cliches. They're almost cliches. Our, our father owns cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, when he breathed, stars came out. Come on, that's in Psalms. He doesn't need anything. And it's all true. He created it all. He created you, me. He created Satan. He created money. He created the earth. He created the system that we use. So he doesn't need it. So if you think about it that way, what he wants us to do is to help you. What he wants us to do is for your own good. And so that's why I'm convicted uh, this morning to really preach this thing this morning. And that's why I believe that God would not let this uh, go on, let, not let us go into something else without inserting this. Amen? The Bible clearly tells us about a blessing and a curse that can be on us. And a lot of people don't relate it, but it's related to tithing. Now, I know some may not want to hear this this morning, but listen, when we, when we first started this series, I told you, I said, I, I will not apologize for preaching on giving. I, I, listen, I don't know when God is going to lead me to preach on this again. I mean, it could be years from now. could be next. I don't know when he'll lead me to preach on this again, but I will not apologize for preaching on giving. I won't apologize for preaching on grace. I'm not going to apologize for preaching on forgiveness or mercy or healing or relationships or uh, any of that. So I'm not going to apologize for preaching on giving because how many know it is the kingdom way of doing things? It is how we prosper. And we don't do it just because we prosper in it. We do it because God told us to do it and we're obedient to him. But listen, if you want to live the abundant life, Jesus said, I, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But listen, you have to do things my way. You have to do things the kingdom way, and that is what God wants to get across to us this morning. And so this morning, turn in your Bible to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. While you're turning there, think about it this way. If, if 
you had an incurable disease, or if you had, say, cancer, and I knew of a cure, a breakthrough for cancer, Maybe I, you know, maybe I had cancer, and all of a sudden I was cured of it, uh, this miraculous cure for cancer, and I knew about it. Would you not expect me to tell you about this cure for cancer? Of course you would. I would expect you to tell me if I had it and you found a cure. You would expect me to tell you about this cure so that you could be healed. Well, I believe that the enemy has put a cancer in the body of Christ or is trying to insert a cancer, and that is that we need to do things opposite of the way God is telling us. We see it all the way from the garden. Did God really say he's trying to infiltrate with this cancer? And I believe part of that cancer is for us to not tithe, for us to not give, for us to be out for ourselves. And we will not get ahead that way. We will not please God that way. Now, this, this verse, this passage of Scripture, most people, very famous, we, most of us know it in here, very famous passage of Scripture, but most people start at verse 8. I want to start back at verse 6. Verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3. It says this, For I, listen how he starts this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Here's here's what he's saying when he starts this off, and we're going to go further. But here's what he's saying. You're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. For I am the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. What he's saying is, the reason I've not killed you yet (laughs) is because I am good and I don't change. Because my grace is sufficient for you. My mercy is new every morning. It was new in the beginning. I loved you when I first created you. That has not changed. My love, no matter what you have done, no matter how you have disobeyed me, no matter how you have turned from me, the reason you are not consumed is because I do not change. And listen, this, God not changing, this is, this is called, theologically, this is called the immu- immutability of God. In other words, it's part of his character or one of the attributes of God. Now, we've heard people talk about the attributes of God. You know, God is love. God is light. He's all these things. Well, this not changing is actually one of those attributes. You see, God cannot change. He does not change. And the reason that he doesn't change is because he is perfect. You see, if God could change, that means he could get better. And you cannot improve on perfection. God's already there. And so you must understand that he cannot change. Not only will he not change, but God cannot change. Okay? I am the Lord. I do not change. Let me put it to you this way. If God, if God, if this is not in scripture, and God did not say this, but if God said, I am six feet tall, let's put it another way. If God says, uh, I have hair and it's gray, I have gray hair. God didn't say that, but let's just say, uh, for the purposes of an illustration, that God said, I have gray hair, and I want you to know that. Okay, what color hair does God have? Gray hair is not a trick question. I know sometimes I think it's a trick question, but he, he has gray hair. Now, let me ask you this question. Let me ask it this way. What if God said 3,000 years ago that I have gray hair? Now, we read where he said, I do not change. And that's not the only place in the Bible where God says, I, do not, I am the Lord, I do not change. So if 3,000 years ago, what if he said 3,000 years ago that I have gray hair, what color is his hair today? Gray, right? It's called deductive reasoning or inductive reasoning. Now, let me ask you this question. What if God said 3,000 years ago that the tithe belongs to me? Would the tithe still belong to him? We just agreed that God said he does not change. And as long as it was gray hair, we were all right with it. This is what happened. 3,000 years ago, God said the tithe belongs to me. And the tithe, it's when he said, I want you to tithe, I'll tell you why I believe that God said that in just a moment, some reasons here. But when he said, I want you to tithe, 
The, the tithe is what the Bible calls an ordinance. It, it's, a, it's a principle that we follow of ordin, ordinary everyday life. The word ordinance comes from the word order, which is an ordinary way of doing things. And so the tithe should just be ordinary behavior for us because it's a principle. And because it's a principle, let me tell you this. It was before the law and it was after the law. Tithing didn't come in when the law came in. Many people say, oh, well, tithing was part of the law, and the law was fulfilled on the cross, and so we don't have to do that anymore. Well, let me tell you, I, I showed you in the beginning of this series where I believe there was a tithe way back in the Garden of Eden. That was 2,500 years before the law. So tithing was long before the law, and tithing is after the law. All right, let's go on. Verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers, God said, you have gone away from my ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? What way, Lord, shall we return to you? How have we gone away from you? What way shall we return to you? And then, here it is, the, the very famous scripture that most people start at. But I wanted to put it in context for you to understand the Lord. I am the Lord. I do not change. I have not consumed you because I am good, but you have turned away from me. In other words, I could have consumed you because you turned away from me. How, Lord, have we turned away from you? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say... In what way have I robbed you? Well, in tithes, now he doesn't just say in tithes, but it says in tithes and offerings. Did it fall down? Okay, I'm not going to look over there. I just won't look. <laughs> in tithes and in offerings. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. How do we remedy that, Lord? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. Listen how many times he says this, says the Lord of hosts. Who's speaking here? It's the Lord of hosts. Now, reading this, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pastor now, and I, and I, I was talking to the Lord, and I was asking God, I said, Lord, when I, you know, when pastors and, and evangelists and preachers preach on this thing, and when I preach on this thing about tithing and about giving and all of that, I said, Lord, one of the, you know, one of the arguments that I know I always get is that tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is just in the Old Testament. And so I said, and God, maybe, you know, you weren't thinking clearly or you weren't thinking far enough ahead you know, when you put this scripture, passage of scripture in here, because these verses only miss the New Testament by about 15 verses. So I said, Lord, you could have just waited a little bit. It, it might have helped a little bit. It might have helped us a little bit. You know, God told him, he says, you're under a curse and you're going away from me. He says, I'm only asking for 10%. And I'm asking it because it tells me something about you. It tells me something about your character. It tells me something about your commitment to me. And I said, well, that's all good, Lord, but couldn't you just have waited about 15 verses and about 400 years? Because that's the time between Malachi and Matthew. So could you just, you know, 400 years is not that long for you, God. Couldn't you just have waited? You know what the Lord said to me? He said, I put these verses right where I want them. And you want to know why I put this verse here? And here's point number one is because tithing is a test. Tithing is a test of your heart. 
what it is. See, if God would have put these passages in the New Testament, it wouldn't have been such a great test for us. And then the other thing that I have to ask is, why would we argue about something that God said will bless us? I mean, if you think about it, why would we argue about being blessed? Why, who do you think would put that argument in your head? When God says, uh, listen, I will rebuke the devourer for you. You think the devourer was happy about that? You think the devourer wouldn't devise a scheme or a plan to trick you to put something in your head? To say, no, 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 don't do that. He, does, did God really say that? Come on, he's been using that trick from the beginning. We haven't seen it yet. Did God really say that? Who do you think would do that? The enemy puts that in. Why would we argue about being blessed? Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, you know it, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, he didn't say, I like the way he put it, because he didn't say, where your heart is, there you'll put your treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, oh, your heart will go there. You get that? Your heart will follow where your treasure is. And then he goes on over in chapter 15. He says, these people, now this is important, listen. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He makes this statement, he, and then he goes on to say, people honor me with their mouth and with their lips, but their heart is not, if their heart is far from me, could we not, could we not say that your treasure is not here? Your treasure is not here, because your heart is not here. You know, say they say they love me, but they don't honor me with their treasure. Their heart is not here. Now, this is Jesus talking. If you want your heart to be in the church, put your treasure there. I'm telling you, wherever you put your treasure, I guarantee you, your heart will go there. Guarantee. I promise you, if you start investing in a stock, you'll be opening the paper every day or looking online now. I guess we don't read the paper, but you'll be looking online to check on that stock to see how it's doing because you've invested in that thing. You buy something, you're going to start taking care of it. Don't we teach our kids that? You know, there's certain things we could get for our kids. But instead, we make them work for it. Do your chores. Get a summer job. Go cut somebody's grass. Because when you put your hard work into it, earn some money, and you buy those headphones yourself, you won't be swinging them around like this in the house and crunching them out, putting them in your teeth and doing all these things. <clears throat> little inside thing there, but anyway. All right, when you, when, you, when you put your money in it, come on now, your heart goes there. That's what Jesus is saying to us. People honor me with their lips, but not with their heart. And by the way, a tithe is, means a tenth, doesn't it? And God says, I only ask you for 10% of what I give you, of what I allow you to get. Well, I work for this. I got that job. God gave you the job. Come on now. Well, that man started that company. God allowed that man to start the company. I don't care how far you go back. God created the man that started the company. <laughs> God created the materials for the man to get to start the You can go all the way back. <laughs> You're going to go back to God no matter what you do. So what you have is because of God. He gave it all to you, and he's only asking for a tenth of it black. And by the way, we talked about this now earlier. By the way, he says, listen, if you'll give me the first, all the rest will be blessed. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'd rather have 90% of something that's blessed by God than 100% of something that's cursed. You talk about a hole in your pocket. My 90% that's blessed will go 100 times more than your 100% that's cursed. Guarantee it. Every time. Now, this, this, this thing, 10th, I'll tell you, the 10th means test. When you, when you look throughout the Bible, maybe you haven't looked at this. A lot of you probably haven't looked at it this way. But I kind of look for things that, you know, you, you don't normally find sometimes when I kind of search through Scripture. And uh, 
I found this, this principle, this thing where, you know, the number 10 uh, really represents testing. And it's all throughout the Bible. And I'll, in fact, I'll show you. Let me, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll ask you a question, and I want you to respond to me. I know this is not Bible class on Wednesday night, so you just listen to somebody preach because it's Sunday morning. But I want you to participate, if you're able to, all right? I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you to tell me the answer back to it, okay? Don't be afraid of being wrong. This is not, you're not, I'm not going to give you a test today. Well, maybe I will give you a little test. But don't be afraid of being wrong, okay? Remember, we're talking about tithing. We're talking about tithing means one-tenth. And then I just said 10 uh, represents, uh, the number 10 represents testing in the Bible. Okay, you got all that? All right, so I'm going to ask you some questions. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Okay, I'll ask you one more time because some of you may have been unsure because you might have thought it was a trick question. You really didn't understand. Some of you have read it. Some of you might not have read it, but some of you might have saw the movie. And so you might know. So how many plagues were there in Egypt? All right, now you're starting to get it. Yeah, 10. That was, that was a good answer. That was, that was a good guess. All right, here's another question. We're going to make the questions a little harder as we go on. How many commandments were there? Oh, yeah, you guys are doing pretty good. All right, 10 plagues in Egypt. Now, I could have, when I talked about the 10 plagues of Egypt, I could have put it like this. How many times did God test Pharaoh? How many times did he test him? He tested him 10 times. 10 commandments. Now, this is one some of you may not know. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Ten. So you could even get, because you might not have read it, but you kind of start to get how we're going here, right? You kind of start to get it. You go along, right? Yeah, he tested Israel ten times in the wilderness. Okay, tough question. See if we can get this. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? How many times? Ten. Very good. See, some of you might not have read that, but you're starting to get the direction that we're going here. He was tested ten times for his love, the love of his life. How many men would go through ten tests in all those years for the love of your wife? I would. You know, I'm going to say that because I know I would. My wife, my mother-in-law, and my auntie's here, so I know I would go through at least ten tests. And if you wanted to do ten more, I would do that too. I love you, Steve. <laughs> How many days was Daniel tested in Daniel chapter 1? It was 10. It was 10. Yeah, you can see it right in Daniel chapter 1. It said he was tested 10 times. Some of you are going to look that up. That's all right. Daniel chapter 1. All right, let me ask you this. Now, some of you might know this. How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? Ten virgins. There were five wise and five foolish. Five wise, five foolish. Ten virgins. All right, just a couple more. Stay with me now. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation 2.10? Ten. Ten, right. You're starting to get it. We're on a roll now. Stay with me. All right, how many disciples were there? Twelve. See, some of you guys was testing you. I was testing you there, but yeah, that was fun. That was good. Yeah, you guys did good. You were paying attention. Yeah, 10, is the, 10 represents testing all throughout Scripture. And so what I'm telling you is every time you get paid, God is testing you. Every time you get increased, God is testing your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it seems pretty simple to me. If I'm tithe, if I tithe, I'm blessed. If I don't tithe and I don't give, I'm cursed. If I'm tithe, I'm blessed. If I tithe, I'm blessed. If I don't tithe, I'm cursed. Hmm. So I'm trying to figure out. You don't have to be a super genius to figure out which one you ought to do. If I tithe, I'm blessed. People say because, and people don't like this word curse, but people, and people say because I'm a Christian, I can never be cursed. I can never live under a curse because Jesus died on the cross and the, he took the curse with him. I can never be cursed. Now I agree. He did die on the cross for uh, our sin, our iniquity, chastisement, chastisement of our peace was upon him, and the curse was upon him. He died for that. But let me just ask you a question. Did Jesus bear sickness on the cross? 
Did he bear sickness on the cross? Yes, he did. Matthew 8, 17 says, on the cross, he bore our sickness. Do people still get sick? Do Christians still get sick? It's not a trick question. You can answer, because we're going somewhere with this. Do Christians still get sick? I've seen Christians get sick. If you're a Christian, what do you have to do then? If, we, if Jesus bore our sickness on the cross, yet I got sick, so something's not adding up here. So if I'm a Christian, what do I have to do? What do you have to do? Well, you have to appropriate by faith what Jesus already did. He did it, but if you don't appropriate it by faith, you can still fall under it. Let me ask you this question. Did Jesus die for our sin on the cross? Have you seen a Christian sin? Have you seen? You don't have to answer it, but I know what the answer is. Since you've been saved. Now, some of you maybe have just got saved yesterday or last week and you haven't sinned, so that's a good thing. I hope you never do. But if you don't appropriate by faith what Jesus did on the cross, we'll fall under it. So then let me ask you, did Jesus bear our curse on the cross? Yes, he did. Jesus bore curses on the cross. But if you do not apply God's word and God's principles and you violate God's principles, your family could be under a curse. Otherwise, you're saying, listen, Jesus died so that way I can just do whatever I want to do and it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean he died. We said it at the beginning. Of course he still loves you. Your father still loves you. Your mother still loves you when you do things that are wrong. But that doesn't mean they condone your behavior and doesn't mean they'll let you get away with it. Come on. Our Father God is the same way. Tithing is a test of our hearts. Here's the second thing. Tithing is biblical. I'll just say that. That may sound simple, but some people don't believe that. You know, a lot of people do not tithe because they believe that there's only one scripture in the Bible on tithing. And that's what we just read, Malachi chapter 3. That's the only scripture in the Bible that talks about tithing. It's in the Old Testament. So it's, we're in the New Testament, and uh, there's a new covenant, uh, a new thing, and we don't have to worry about anything in the Old Testament before. There's a whole teaching. I don't have time to go into it this morning. But when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. But it doesn't mean there's, is no, is, there is no law. There's still a law, but it's just written on your hearts. If, if God said you shall not murder in the Old Testament because he died on the cross for that, does that mean now we can murder? No, it is still here. It's just written on your hearts. And then some will say, well then, hey, listen, we don't, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. We don't do that physically. Right, you're right. It doesn't mean that that principle is still not uh, there, but what it means is that Jesus died on, he was the perfect lamb once and for all time. But he did not die on the cross for the principle of tithing so that we could wipe it away. That's still there. The reason is because you're blessed when you do it. So he, he wants you to be blessed. It's in the Bible. I'm going to run through some scriptures for you. Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him, and he, and he said, Blessed be Abram, God of the Most High, of God Most High, possessor of, of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. And he, talking about Abram, later called Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. This was 500 years before the law when he did this. And then later on, Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 22, says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar, you know, Genesis 28, 22, uh, shall be God, in God's house, and of all that you give me, I will, this is Jacob talking, I will surely give you a tenth. This is 400 years before the law. So 500 years and 400 years before the law, the principle of tithing was already set. Look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. It belongs to him. That's where in Malachi you get, will a man rob God? You're taking what belongs to him. Just because it was in your hands, he let you steward it, he let you hold it, doesn't mean it's yours. It belongs to him. 
Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 and 2. It says, and it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it that you shall take some of the first, listen, the first of all of the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Part of the, what we were talking about before is the tithe doesn't just mean tenth. It's not just the tenth that brings the blessing, but it's the first. The first of the first fruit bringing that to the Lord. And look at what he says here. Now I know this might blow uh, some of your theology out of the water a little bit, and, that, and that's okay because God understands, uh, you know, your heart. He knows your heart, knows what you want to do. But I just want to point out to you, look at what they did uh, here. When, when they brought all of their first of the first fruits. He says, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you. Put it in a basket. Go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. They brought their offering. They brought their tithe to the house to give to the Lord. Just, I'm just throwing it out there. Then drop down to verse 13. He says, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed. This is important now. Listen to me. I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, and I have done according to all that you have commanded me. And here's your prayer. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. Why? Because I took the holy tithe from my house and I brought it to your house. I took it from my house and I brought it to your house. And listen, listen to what he says. I didn't take it somewhere else. I didn't go on vacation with the tithe. I didn't send it to a television ministry. And I love some television ministries, some. I didn't send it to a missionary. Not the tithe. And I believe in all those things, but you must understand that the tithe belongs to the Lord. I didn't pay my mortgage with the tithe. Come on now. Stepping on something, I understand it. But I want to tell you something. I want to make myself very clear. The mortgage company does not have the power to bless your finances. Why would you give the mortgage company your tithe? I didn't give it to a charity. Why? Because the tithe belongs to the Lord. All those other things are over. Remember back in, in Malachi, we just read it. He said, well, a man robbed God. How? With tithes and offerings. So the tithe is not, the tithe is, listen, the tithe is just giving back to him what already belongs to him. We talked a couple times about the parable of the man who, the parable of the talents, who went away. And when he came back, he said, here is what is already yours. Here is over and above. Here's what is already yours. Here is over and above. Here's what is already yours, and that's all I have. All you're doing is giving back to him what he gave to you. What did he say? He said, you wicked and faithful, uh, faithless servant. Matthew 23 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Now we're in the New Testament. And by the way, I know people will say, well, the New Testament really didn't start until Acts. And I, I agree with that because they were still part of the Old Covenant. Until someone dies, the, the Old Covenant is still uh, in effect. But let me tell you this. Jesus began to teach New Covenant uh, principles while he was walking in the while he was walking Old Testament what we have put in the New Testament because all his principles that he were teaching he was teaching was new uh, new covenant principles see when he taught about the kingdom of God that wasn't just old covenant and it didn't go away when he died on the, all the why would Jesus come and begin to teach us to do things only so that when he dies they go away so remember that this is New Testament stuff we're talking about here, when you, and it's in red. 
Jesus said it. So he reached into a, a, a time that was ahead and brought these principles back to teach us now. So he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys have tithed on every little thing, even the little spices that you put on your food. You've tithed on all that. And that's what you should have done. But you should not have left the other undone. You should have not neglected the rest. He didn't say that you don't need to tithe anymore. He's saying that you need to continue to tithe and don't neglect the other thing. Now, I had someone was preaching on this one time, and I had someone come up to me after the message and say, well, you know, when he says this phrase, these that you ought to have done, that refers to uh, justice and mercy and faith. And I said, hmm, so you see that? The person was saying that what you ought to have done, they're saying, didn't refer to tithing. They're saying it referred to justice, mercy, and faith. You should have done, these you should have done. And I went and looked that up, and grammatically, it, it doesn't. It, that, that grammatically, that doesn't make sense when you look in the original Greek. But let's just say it does. Let's just say it does. So let's say these that you should have done refer to justice and mercy and faith. What does the rest of the verse say? It said you shouldn't have left the other out. So you still would have had to, either way, I got you. Hebrews chapter 7. In fact, I don't think I have that up there, but I'm going to read that a little bit. This is another verse in the New Testament, uh, and it refers back to what we were just talking about with Melchizedek. Some of you know this very well. You've heard it before, but I'm just going to start at verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter, this is what we just read, of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, remember we just read that, all right, first being translated king of righteousness and then king of peace, that's why people uh, believe that, theologians believe that this was either Jesus himself or a type of Christ because he was both king of righteousness and king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like the son of God Remains a priest till now. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He received the tithes from Abraham and then he blessed Abraham because of the tithes. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Listen to what this is saying. When you bring your tithes to the storehouse, all we can do is look at it as you know, in the physical. Just look at it in the natural. I'm bringing my tithes to the church so that they can pay their bills and we can have a church building and we can meet and pay the staff or whatever it is the church needs to do and give the missionaries and all that. That's why we bring the tithes to the church. But listen to what, how the writer of Hebrews, or the Holy Spirit, through the writer of Hebrews, explains this to us. He says, here, mortal man receives tithes. But he's saying at the same time, there... Christ receives your tithe. When you bring your tithe to the storehouse, it is God himself who is receiving your tithe. He receives it there. He has the power to bless you. Jesus said in another scripture, don't be afraid of the one who can just kill the body. But you need to fear the one who has power over the body and your soul. The devil doesn't have any power over your soul. In fact, he doesn't really have any power over what you do. He gives you what? Thoughts, come on, suggestions, and ideas. That's all he can do. What you do, you do yourself. Come on now. 
Tithing, number three, is a benefit. Tithing is a benefit. It's biblical, and it's a benefit for us. It is beneficial. Now, we should do it because it's a principle, and it's the right thing to do, whether it's a principle or not. But not only is it a principle, but it's absolutely beneficial to us. Listen to 2 Chronicles. And I don't think I have this up here either, but let's listen to 2 Chronicles 31. It says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem, and this is uh, Hezekiah, uh, to contribute support for the priests and the Levites, what they might devote themselves, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruit, remember this, the first fruit of the grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. First fruit, the tithe. First fruit, tithe. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep. Also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God. And they laid in heaps. In the third month they began laying them in heaps. They brought them in heaps. And they finished in the seventh month. From the third month to the seventh month they brought in tithes. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, he, and they blessed the Lord and his people, Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned, like any good king, like any good pastor would do if he saw this or she saw this. He questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And as Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left, this is the great abundance that's left over. In other words, here's what was happening. Hezekiah began to question because he saw all this stuff they were bringing in. And he said, wait a minute, they're bringing all this, all this stuff. Are they going to be okay? I'm concerned about them. They're bringing in too much. They need to keep some back for them. How are they going to live, Lord? How are they going to live, Levites? These people, I, I ordered them to bring in their tithes, but they're just, all this, certainly... They don't have that much that they're bringing in all this. How are the people going to live? And God spoke to him and said, I have blessed them so much that this is over and above because of their heart, because they wanted to bring the tithes to the storehouse. I wanted to bless them, and he's blessed them over and above. Lastly, tithing is an expression of our love. Come on, in any relationship, we need to express ourselves. If you're a man and you're married, just ask your wife. Ditto doesn't work. You know how I feel doesn't work. I found all these out. Flowers work sometimes. Chocolate, maybe. But we have to express ourselves in any relationship. And tithing is an expression of your love. What else can you do? What, what all can you do for God? We don't see him physically other than in each other. That's how we see God in each other. But the almighty God, at this, in this day and age, at this time, we don't see him physically. And so obeying him is the best expression that we could ever give of our love. That expresses our love tangibly to him. That's how we express ourselves. Obey him. We can obey him. This thing about tithing, it, I really believe in my heart it's, it's for us. And here's what happens. Let me, let, me give you an, let me give you another example. Let me give you an illustration of how I believe God looks at this thing. I'm going to need some volunteers. Maybe I'll use some voluntolds. How's that? So, Brother David, let me use you this morning. Adam, why don't you come up here? And my son, Michael, you come up here. Now, these three guys, these, these young men of the Lord, Look at all of them, handsome young men. All right, you guys are getting there. You'll be up to where I'm at pretty soon. They all look good, don't they? All right, so you got David, you got Adam, and you got Michael. All right, now, say these, these three men right here, I was going away on a trip, okay? Going away on a long trip for a long period of time. 
My wife right here, Deetra, and, uh, you know, she's maybe taking care of the kids or she's not able to work because I'm gone, so she's doing some things with the house and all that. So I say, well, I'm gone. I'm going to send money back so that she'll be well taken care of. But what I decide to do is I decide to hire these three guys to do some things for me, and I send them $10,000 a month each. Now, don't get excited. It's just an illustration. <laughs> just an illustration, okay? So I send David $10,000, I send Adam $10,000, and I send Michael $10,000 a month. And I say, out of that $10,000, I want each of you to give $1,000 to Deetra, all right, to make sure she's taken care of. You can do anything you want with the other $9,000. All I need is for you to give $1,000 to Deetra, so I'll make sure she's taken care of. So I begin to send the money, and I'm gone for a while. All of a sudden, one day, I call back to Deetra, say, how's things going? How you doing? You making it all right? How's the money? And she says, well, everything's going pretty good. She said, uh, you know, Brother David, he's giving me uh, $1,000 a month, just like you said. It's, it's wonderful. He's a great, great guy. She said, Brother Adam, he's giving me $2,000 a month, over and above. He's great. He's a great guy. She said, now we need to talk about Michael a little bit. <laughs> no. I mean, the first month, Michael gave me $700. And then the next month, he gave me $500. Last month, he didn't give me anything. Now, when I hear that, how do you think I'm going to feel about Michael? <laughs> now, he's about as tall as I am. My wife told me yesterday that we, we both wear the same length in pants. I don't know how that is. So, but he's getting as tall, so I might not really be able to beat him up. But what I can do is cut him off, can I? I can cut him off. Well, what do you think I would do? I would take what I was sending to Michael and I would split it up between David and Adam. Why? Because they're faithful to do what I asked them to do. This is where you get the scripture. Thank you, guys. This is where you get the scripture. Yeah, give him a hand. Thank you. Next time I'll give you some lines to say. This is where you get the scripture. Those that have will even have more and those that have not. You know, I used to struggle with that. But I see the illustration clear as day now. When you're faithful with, with what God has given you, he'll give you more because he knows you're a giver. God only treats extravagant givers like that. The reason why he asked Solomon, what is it that you want, Solomon? And Solomon said wisdom. The reason why he made him the richest man that ever walked the face of the earth is because he knew Solomon would be an extravagant giver. God only talks to extravagant givers in that manner, in that way. And so if our heart is that way, you want to walk in the kingdom of God, we got to follow his principles. Now let me tell you, I'll just finish with this. I, I know to some of you, I know it doesn't make sense. I know to some of you that doesn't make sense because, listen, we're, all we know is what we see in the world. If I want money, I'm going to have to put it in the bank, not give it away. If I want to keep money and I want to increase my money, I'm going to have to invest it in something that brings a return, not give it to someone who's homeless or not, certainly not take 10% to the church where I don't know what they're doing with the money. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes when I take 10% to the church. I know to you that doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but let me tell you something. The kingdom of God in so many ways is total opposite of what you see. How our, why do you think our world doesn't work? When you look around, why do you think it doesn't work? And I'll tell you something else. It is, this is not about waiting until you die to go to heaven to live in the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is in you. It is right here, right now. We have the ability to live kingdom living right here, right now. Come on, somebody give him a shout of praise. Right here, right now. Not just in the time to come. But the thing about it is, remember, and I explained this last week, remember, if you, if you travel and you go to China, all right, just because you're an American don't mean you're going to get special privileges. You have to start acting like Chinese. You got to eat Chinese food, right? If they drive on, I don't know what side of the street they drive on, but if they drive on the left side of the street, you can't just drive on the right side of the street. I mean, we went to, Pastor and I went to, to Fiji, and boy, we took our life in our hands because we were in the car with Tameli, Pastor. Come on now. <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, they drove on the left side of the street because they were colonized by Britain. We couldn't just go there and start driving on the right side of the street and say, what y'all doing? We said, we're Americans. Driving on the right side of the street, that's how we drive. 
You can't do that. Why? Because you're in Fiji. You have to do what they do. Well, if you want to experience kingdom living, you can't just do it the way the world does it. You got to do it the way God told us to do it. If you want to experience kingdom living, you have to do it the way God told us to do it. We have to live by his principles and his laws. Now listen, I didn't mean to upset you this morning. I, I'm not apologizing. I won't apologize for giving, but I really did not. I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. I don't want to upset you with tithing, but I, I'm honest when I say I believe with every fiber of my being that this is something that will help you. It will help you to overcome, and not just in your finances, folks. Let me say that. Not just in your finances. Uh, you, you ever, you ever, I know we, we've experienced this, you know, before, but you ever had a situation where you seem like every time you get ahead one step, you go back two steps, right? You do this thing over here and then the washing machine breaks down. You do that thing over here and then something goes wrong with the car. I'm telling you, as Christians, we can live under a curse. We can live under a curse. We don't follow God's principles. But if we follow the principles of God, if we become givers, if we live to give, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. It will change your life. And then the last thing I know, I keep saying the last thing. I See, I keep changing different phrases. I'll say one more thing. This is the last thing I'll say. You know, I keep doing different things so I can keep ending. And uh, the last thing I'll say is this. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's a blessing for you. It, it, it is something that will help you, not just in your finances, but in every area of your life. And I want to tell you something else. Here it is, is that some of you have a boring life. I'm just going to tell you that. You know, I'm not going to call no names. <laughs> I'm not going to call no names out. You know who you are. You know your life is a little boring. You want an exciting life? Become a giver. Because God has not stopped exciting me <laughs> since, you know, and we're, and we're, you know, we're only on the precipice of where we need to be. I'm going to tell you that right now. I mean, we need to talk and make more of a commitment to be more givers. Become a giver. You will lead the most exciting, fulfilling life that you could ever lead with the blessings of the Lord. And then the final thing I'll say, see, I said the last thing. Now, the final thing I'll say is this. Here, I'll do my glasses like this, close the Bible. Yeah. Is, is the fact that God, it's going to be an exciting life for you. God is going to bless you. He's going to bless your socks off. Uh, he's going to open doors that you didn't even know the doors were there to be open. He's going to open all those doors. God's blessing is upon you. I believe his blessing is upon this church. I'm going to say that right now.